Encouraging us to do what is difficult if the Lord is telling us to do it, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. There are times in our lives where it's important for us to obey God coming alongside of someone to gently, mildly, in love, rebuke them or correct them. But I would say that that is one of the things in the church that really doesn't take place. Why? Because most people are afraid to do it. They disobey God. God has clearly said you need to go talk to so-and-so and tell them what they just said isn't really appropriate. This is amazing grace. It's said that newspaper man William Randolph Hearst advanced his journalistic career comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Someone has quipped the church has adopted that method, but got it backwards. Hello, and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. As we continue in Romans chapter 9, we'll get some help in when and how to bring comfort and, at times, correction. But Pastor Ed will get things started with some much-needed background on this important section of Scripture. Well, chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul, here in Romans, is turning his attention to Israel because as the Jews are listening to this letter, they're processing, well, wait a minute, I don't understand why God would set Israel aside for a season. After all the great privileges they were given, all the great things God has done in their life, why now is God working primarily through the Gentiles? And it's a good thing that God's working primarily through the Gentiles today because I would venture a guess that those that are here today, almost every single one of us are Gentiles and we're believers because of the work that God is doing among Gentiles today and how he set the nation of Israel aside for a season. And so Paul takes the time in chapter 9, 10, and 11 to explain practically and theologically, what the plan of God is. For those of you that are taking notes, chapter 9 is God's dealing with Israel in the past. And Paul's showing how faithful God has been with Israel. And then in chapter 10, Paul's going to show us how faithful God is with Israel in the present. And then chapter 11, he's going to look to the future and show God's dealings with Israel in the future. In verse 19, we'll pick up where we left off. Paul says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? Again, if you haven't been with us, the chapter's building on itself. And what he's doing is anticipating what's on the minds of those listening right after they heard about Pharaoh. Because the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we walked through Exodus and shown that time after time and after time, Pharaoh was given opportunity to repent. He was given opportunity to surrender. He's given opportunity to turn, but that's not what happened. And so finally, God just simply says, okay, Pharaoh, you want a hard heart? You can have a hard heart. And I'm going to raise you up, that you hard-hearted man, and I'm going to use you for my glory. And so the question is, now, wait a minute. That just doesn't seem fair. And Paul anticipates, he says, you're going to say to me, hey, why does God still find fault for who has resisted his will? And then look at the answer in verse 20. But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Who are you? Great question to ask. You know, when people start to bag on God in our lives and they start to point the finger at God, 
isn't it natural for you to sort of jump in and want to defend God? Like, hey, don't be picking on God. Now, who are you? You start trying to, to reason with people. You, you want to reason. You want to walk them down the path and go, no, no, no. You might even get real theological with them at times and try to explain it to them theologically. The natural response for us is to reason with them. As they're asking the why question, why, as they're dealing with some difficulty in their life. But you know, that's not what Paul does here. He doesn't reason with them. You know what he does? He rebukes them. He rebukes them. That question in verse 20 is a mild rebuke. Next to the word reply there in verse 20, you can circle it right next to it, talk back, or be against, or criticize, because that's what it means. Who are you to criticize God? Who are you to talk back to God? Who are you to come up against God? Listen to it from the paraphrase message translation. The message translates it this way. Who in the world do you think you are to second-guess God? Oh, sorry, Paul. Man, you're right. In the New Living Translation, it's translated this way. Who are you, a mere human, to criticize God? And it's interesting because here Paul doesn't do what's normal. He doesn't try to defend God. He doesn't try to come up and say, that's God and you need... He just says, you know what? Who are you? Do you even know what you're doing? Do you even realize what's happening in your heart when you begin to talk back to God, when you begin to criticize him? Do you realize what path you're on? Do you know what's going to happen at the end? Do you understand that God is God? And so he mildly rebukes them, doesn't reason with them. And I think it's good to pause here and talk about rebuke. Because, you know, there are times in our lives where God has called us to come alongside a brother or sister and rebuke them. Now, those of you that think you have the ministry of rebuke <laughs> are like, yeah, Ed, yes. I knew it was in there somewhere, man. I have the ministry of rebuke. No, 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 no. That's not what I said. I said there are times in our lives where it's important for us to obey God coming alongside of someone to gently, mildly, in love, rebuke them or correct them. But I would say that that is one of the things in the church that really doesn't take place. Why? Because most people are afraid to do it. They disobey God. God has clearly said you need to go talk to so-and-so and tell them what they just said isn't really appropriate. You need to go talk to so-and-so and tell them what they did really doesn't reflect the character of Jesus Christ. And almost always the response is, you know what, I, I, I can't do that. I mean, it's hard enough to look someone in the eye and then to tell them some, some information they're not going to receive. Now, rebuke isn't. Don't in your mind have the thought of, well, it's harsh and it's hard and it's mean and I get to do it. That's not rebuke. Now, there might be people that think they have the ministry of the rebuke and, well, I'll go do it, Ed. I can get really nasty and mean. I'd love to do that. No, 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 no. No, that, that, that's why most people like that you don't listen to anyway, do you? You're like, you know, I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to be screamed at. I don't want, that's not, that's not from the Lord. It's not harsh and hard. Well, instead of rebuke or correction, we'll just try to explain things to people. We'll try to reason with them. When God has clearly said, you need to go and correct them, son, daughter. You know, when it's regularly done, a believer grows in the things of God. Maturity takes place. There are things in my life that if someone didn't tell me, I would never see it. 
I wouldn't even notice it. We get so caught up in a pattern of life that unless someone said, you know, Ed, did you know what you just said? No, what did I just say? And they'll repeat back to me. I go, wow, interesting. I didn't know I said that. I wonder where that came from. I can see how you misunderstood me. Or I can see how I was misunderstood. Or maybe in the process, God's revealing in my heart, man, that's, I'm harboring something in my heart. I need to deal with it. And so in rebuke, it's so important for us to, well, to be careful. It's something for us to be obedient. It's something for us to walk in love toward one another. And so in correction, let me walk you through a few things. For those of you that are taking notes, I think it's important as the Lord has laid before you the need to talk to someone, to lay before them something that is corrective. Let me give you a few tips. Let me give you a few spiritual tips that will help you and me as we're talking to people in negative or in a time where something might be perceived as negative or difficult, okay? Number one, if God has called you to go alongside someone and correct them, number one, pray. Be a man, a woman, just pray for wisdom from God. It's important that when stepping out to help someone see an area for improvement, that we're prayerful. You see, because if it's really from the Lord, right? If it's really not your flesh and not your attitude and you've copped some attitude and you want to fix somebody, not that at all. If it's really from the Lord, then it's the Spirit of God that has a message, not you. And so if the Spirit of God has something for someone else, then you want to be, I want to be in tune with the Spirit of God. How do we do that? But praying. Lord, I need wisdom on this. I, I want to be careful. I want to walk in love. And so be in prayer. You can jot this down in Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we're given more further instruction in this area. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. And the way that we find ourselves spiritually is by praying. Number two, if God has laid a correction on your heart that you need to obey, number two, you need to search out and use the Bible. Not your opinions. Carrying your opinions around to everyone is not biblical rebuke or correction. Not your opinions. People don't need our opinions. So many of us have seen and maybe even experienced or been on one side or the other of expressing opinions that really hurt people. Your opinion, my opinion, doesn't matter. I know that might be hurtful to you or you might be surprised by that, but your opinion, my opinion, doesn't matter. But God's Word does matter. And we cling to His Word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for doctrine, for reproof. His Scripture, His Word will speak into our lives not only correction but instruction and help, and it will develop our lives. And so it's not our opinions that we go to. Number three, number one is pray. Number two, search out and use the Scriptures. The next one, number three, is, and listen, this is something you've got to grasp. Very, 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 very important. Go to the person privately. Did you hear that? Go to the person privately. Go to the person what? Privately. So how are you supposed to go to the person? Privately. Are you supposed to gather a gang together and go beat them up? Are you supposed to get on the gossip hotline and start passing it around the whole church? So did you hear about so-and-so? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Who cares what anybody thinks? You go to the person privately. This one I want you to see in your Bible. Flip over to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, we did a whole Bible study on this section. But enough for us today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, we're to go to the person privately. Public humiliation is not a good thing. 
It wouldn't be something like for me, okay, everybody, uh, we're talking about correction today and we're talking about rebuke today. Let me give you a public example. Hey, you, come on up over to the stage here. Why would I want to humiliate someone? That's a pretty dumb example, isn't it? Because it wouldn't happen up here. But you know, in front of thousands of people, the same effect happens in front of two people. It doesn't have to have a room full of people. But if you choose to be in a place where you're going to take care of it and everybody's going to be an audience, wrong. Matthew chapter 18, look at verse 15 with me. It says, moreover, if your brother, this is Jesus speaking, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between what? You and him alone. This is Jesus Christ speaking. It's a pattern throughout the scriptures. You go to him, you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. It's not something to be broadcast. It's not something for everyone to be a part of. You go to them alone, individually. Let me just say this. Email is not going to a brother alone. Times like this, you need eye-to-eye contact. So, well, I've, I've followed through. I, I sent an email. I wrote a letter. No, 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 no. You need eye-to-eye contact. You go. Jesus said, go to him alone. Email might set up a meeting, perhaps, or might be able to lay the foundation for a meeting, but I found that that has replaced eye-to-eye contact in the church, and I don't believe it's from the Lord. Because you know how emails can be misunderstood, and you can't get the eye. You, you just, the enemy uses that stuff. And we go to them alone. Public humiliation is never helpful. And it's not the heart of Jesus Christ. So as you're praying, as you're seeking out the scriptures, you go to them alone. Number four, in the meeting, in the, the time of talking, listen. <laughs> listen. Just be quiet. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, James says. Just listen. You know why? Because as you're listening, you may find out that God has a rebuke Oh, for you. Like you were wrong. You didn't get the whole picture. And now that you got the whole story, you're like, oh, I understand now. I can see that now. And the Lord's like all busting you because you've already made up your mind before you heard the other side of the story, which is not biblical. The Bible says to hear both sides of the story. And so it's important for us to listen. As you're a good listener, you'll be a better channel for the Holy Spirit to use you. But if you're always jabber, jibber, jabber all the time and talking, 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 You don't give room for the Lord to work. And then number five, again, this isn't the ministry of rebuke. It's not the ministry of, I've called, I've been called to be the sin sniffer of Calvary Chapel. We don't need any of those. No, thank you. God will root out every hidden sin in this church. I don't have to worry about it. It'll come to pass. I don't need to be looking for it. I don't need to be searching for it. I I don't need ministers around me to find it for me. The Lord takes care of his church. You realize that? He takes care of his church. He takes care of us. And he will reveal hidden things in our hearts and and he'll help us to grow through them. So we don't need any sin sniffers and there is no ministry of rebuke. Did I repeat that enough? We want to be not known as, oh, that's the church that's really good at rebuking one another. That's not what Jesus said, right? Jesus said that that people would know that we're his disciples by what? Our love for one another, that agape love. Yes, sometimes love involves saying something difficult, but for the most part, love is exemplified by self-sacrifice and love and service and... Oh, it's good stuff. So, number five, commit to stick it out with the brother or the sister. Like, when you're called to correct someone, it's all relational. So, you don't just, well, I've done my rebuke, you're on your own. No way. 
Because the person may not receive it, the person may not like it, the person may walk out all upset, you might get the impression that things are worse than they were before we had this conversation and that's not what I wanted, that's not my heart's desire. Okay, well you just stay committed to that relationship because God, if it's really from the Lord, it will be worked out by him. It'll be worked out. It might be a year later, it might be five years later, but the person finally says, you know what, you were right. That was an area of my life that I didn't see. And you were the first one to tell me. And after you told me, 30 other people told me, and I really now see it. And thank you. You're like, wow, do I need to wait five years? You might. It might be five days, it might be five years, but commit to stick it out with them. You see, it's not just this event. It's like, well, I'm a rebuke here, rebuke here, I'm a rebuke here, and then everyone's on their own. Well, you know, what happens is if you have that thought today, if that's really you and that's really rooted in your heart, you're a mean person. Because that's what happens. You become very mean and vicious. And you walk around going to be mean and vicious. You know, a mean and vicious person has to have people to be mean to. And that's just not the heart of Jesus. It's not much help to the body of Christ, guys. But gently and lovingly correcting is good. That's what Paul does back in Romans 9. He doesn't reason with them. He says, who are you to answer God? Who are you? And that's a good question to ask. Back in Romans 9 now. Romans chapter 9. Did I say that there is no ministry of rebuke? Like no gifting? Did I say that already? I just want to make sure because I want to help you in correction, but I don't want you thinking, oh, man, I've been waiting for this Sunday forever, man. (laughs) So back to verse 20 now. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter, verse 21, have power over the clay from the same lump? So guess what you are? Are you the potter or are you the lump? That's right. Wasn't there a TV show where the character's named Lumpy? I wonder if they got it from here. You're the lump. So, from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. It was Leave it to Beaver, wasn't it? I get that through. Okay. So, here's the second answer. After this gentle, mild rebuke, he says, here's your answer. Those of you that are wrestling with the whole pharaoh and the potter and the clay, here's the answer. God is God. And he does what he pleases. <laughs> so you're wrestling with this whole topic of the potter and the clay and Pharaoh. Okay, number one, who are you to reply against God? Number two, God is God. You know what that means? Because there's an indirect statement in that. God is God and he does what he pleases. There's an indirect statement. God is God and you and I are not. And so God, in doing what he has done and what he continues to do, he is God and he does what he pleases. But the picture that's given to us is not some manufacturer, not somebody that runs some plant and just makes production all the time. He gives the picture of this potter carefully working out this lump of clay. You know, with a lump of clay, you and I, I mean, those of you that might be alongside of me that's not very creative, you know, I don't see anything with a lump of clay except a lump of clay. That's it. I don't see anything else in that. I don't have the ability or I don't have the mind to see anything creative about a lump of clay. I just, it's a lump of clay, I'll move on. I don't have any desire. But the potter, those of you that are creative, those of you that have been just gifted, when you see the lump, you look right past the lump and you look already of what it could be in your hands. That is so cool of how it could be. It's a lot like in what God has done in my life where a lot of times the Bible study here on a Sunday morning starts with a blank screen. Every time it starts with a blank screen. There's nothing there. I got a blank mind and a blank screen and I wait on the Lord. 
So God, what would you have for our congregation this week? What truth out of the scripture do you have for us? What do you want to show us? And then that white blank screen on my computer and my mind starts to fill up with all sorts of neat stuff that God has for us. And so he doesn't use this harsh, hard picture of someone, well, I'm just going to make something out of you, but the gentle hands of a creative potter. It's a picture that Israel would be very familiar with. Would you turn back to Jeremiah chapter 18? Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah's ministry. Oh, the brother struggled and wrestled. He was called to a very difficult ministry. He is delivering the message of God to a very rebellious, a very resistant nation. And if Jeremiah was judged today by the way ministries are judged today, like if we were to look and say, well, okay, Jeremiah, I'm going to read Jeremiah. Was he successful? Was he not successful? Well, if we were to judge Jeremiah's ministry by the way many churches are judging their ministry today, we would have to conclude that Jeremiah was a failure. You know why? Because there wasn't one convert from his ministry. Not one person listened to him. Not one person came to a place where they repented and returned to the Lord in the entirety of Jeremiah's ministry. You know, there is this move today, this cross the board in the church that says, well, you know, hey, the more people you have, it must be successful. Let me just say, let me put that idea to rest here. It's very easy to draw people. Be very, very easy. Churches give money away. Wouldn't that be a great church to go to? Hey, you don't need to give here. We give to you, man. (laughs) Churches are doing that, using all kinds of ungodly methods to draw a crowd. And then because the crowd is drawn, Say, well, we must be successful. No, you just done a good job of drawing people. See, man doesn't build the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus builds the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he said, remember? On this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. And so with all the methodologies out there, all the things that are going on, you're like, well, oh, there's billions of people following that guy. Well, what does he teach? Because that tells me whether he's in tune with the Lord. Because Jeremiah, there's nobody following him. Well, what does he teach? Well, he teaches the Word of God. Oh, Jeremiah was successful. Because the method of God in gauging success for us is not by the results, but it's by faithfulness. That means it's even across the board for us. He judges and examines our hearts, and he says, here is a successful brother, a successful sister, a successful son or daughter in my kingdom. They're faithful to me. Oh, yes. Because we can all be faithful. We can all walk in humility toward him. So Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, he goes down and he's sent as a message, as a picture. He says, verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, chapter 18, verse 1, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. So that's pretty cool. Jeremiah, I've got a mission for you. Go down to the pottery barn and just hang out. And when you get there, I'll talk to you. And that's what he was told to do. And I love it because the very next verse says, then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. What a sight that must have been. I love watching people that are creative do what they do. The po- watching a potter guy is really, a potter gal is really, really cool. Watching it all take place and hearing the word of God and, and that's where Jeremiah is. This lump of clay is right there on the potter's wheel and the potter is at work fashioning out of this lump from his mind. He's got, and, and you look at the very next verse, it says, Verse 4, and the vessel that he made of clay was what? Oh, oh man. Oh, that's not good. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. You know what we do with things that get marred in our hands? We usually throw them away. What will God do with this marred vessel? Thankfully, it's not what we typically do. 
We'll hear about that next time on Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Romans 9. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our apps, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, then click Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We're consistently hearing from people that are growing by God's abounding grace as they take in and apply the Word of God. Your gifts help to make that possible. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Faith. Maybe you've wondered, what is faith? Where does it come from? And how does it work? Pastor Chuck explores those questions and many others that relate to the issue of faith in this helpful book. Request it today when you call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.